Gracious God, send forth your spirit by the power of your word to create faith, to forgive sin, and to grow our love for you and for one another. Amen. Well, it seems weird tonight to begin our service with the sermon, but that is actually what our rubric tells us. The the rubrics being the the red letters, the the red words in our hymnals, the things we're supposed to do or how we're supposed to uh, be present in our in our worship time and we start with the sermon because our 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 penitential season is over this this long lent that we have been on and it has been almost too long am i right we began so many weeks ago and it seems like almost a year ago with ash wednesday as you came forward to receive the ashes on your forehead and to be called into this lenten time of repentance And, and now we're almost living it out. These disciplines that we often hear, hear preached about, these things calling us out of our normal day-to-day where we often forget about prayer, we forget about fasting, we forget about almsgiving, and now we're living it. We're fasting without even trying. Fasting from each other. Fasting from fellowship. Fasting from the Lord's table. Fasting from regularity that was the norm for our lives for so long. I don't need to talk to you about almsgiving either. Many of you are giving of yourselves regularly, not only giving to the ministry of the church, but but also giving your benevolence to the various organizations that you care for, but also caring for each other. Sending cards and text messages and emails and phone calls and getting takeout food and checking on the homebound. And even even with the third discipline of prayer, prayer for many of you has become your refuge, your foundation, your strength. We've been able to structure our weeks with, with days and times of regular prayer, almost like a monastic order, having hours set aside to, to come before the throne of God, to have our hearts bleed with the petitions that we want to give to Him to take and to hold. But now Lent is over. Regardless of how you feel about it, it's over. This is Maundy Thursday. It it stands as finished, Lent does. Just just like your sins on the cross, just like that empty tomb of Christ 2,000 years ago, Lent is over, it's done. And even though we are still in lockdown, even though we are still in this shelter at home, and even though we are still going to follow the guidelines of our leadership, we need to know that the quarantine of our souls is completed. We now enter into the holiest of days of our year as the church, as Christians, beginning tonight with Monday Thursday. Monday Thursday has always felt like a hodgepodge for me because we. For instance, we'll hear the story of the Passover, the first Passover, Exodus chapter 12. The Israelites are in Egypt, and God has sent Moses and Aaron, and he sent plagues to get the Israelites out of Egypt, and the final plague is to come, this angel of death that is going to go through the entire region, killing the firstborn in every household except for those who sacrifice that Passover lamb and eat that Passover and paint the doorposts and the lintels 
their doors with that blood and the angel of death passes over them. The story foreshadowing for us, the passing over of our sins, the passing over of death for us, the passing over of our fears, this being the pinnacle of God's active working for Israel in redemption, and it gets handed to us as a heritage. It's easy enough to see Jesus there, this Passover lamb, this paschal lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The message is clear for us. There is this sense for us of a calling back, of of, of wanting this holy week, these holy days to become for us always, every year, just like the holy days of the year for our Jewish brothers and sisters, our Jewish neighbors. Church, if this night would be for you that night to remember what it is that Christ is about to do for you and tomorrow and Sunday. Later on, we'll sing Psalm 116. We'll hear of this cup of salvation that we take. Not that we give, not that we construct it ourselves, but that we take it as though someone is handing it to us and we receive it. It, the reception of this cup of salvation, the gifting to us. Jesus, there for us. Being this refuge, being this place in which right now, many of you are feeling as though you cannot continue in the way that things have been going these last couple of weeks. It is so hard, so difficult to be removed from one another. The fears of employment, the fears of the stock market, the fears of all these things. And what, yet what Christ comes to us to say to us tonight is that he has hold of that. He takes those fears from us and he gifts to us himself. We will also hear the words that are so familiar for us who regularly receive the sacrament from the Lord's table. Do this In remembrance of me, it always says. I do wonder if every time now that we come to the Lord's table after this time of fasting, if even more importantly we will hear of that calling to us of Christ to remember him. For whenever you drink and eat, taking this bread, taking this cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, Paul tells us. This ingathering of our souls around God's table provided in Jesus Christ in his flesh and blood, broken and shed for us. Christ being present there. I wonder if the next time we feast at the Lord's table together, it should be the sweetest of feasts. That that bread will truly be life for you, that cup Truly love for you. And then we have John 13. This is where we get this word, mandi, from. It's, it's the word for commandment. It is where Jesus tells us a new command I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That is what Jesus says to us in verse 34 of John 13. But how does this fit tonight? with all the other readings, 
with all of this night of what it's supposed to be representing for us on the night in which he was betrayed. It is here that, that we, we hear the story of foot washing and Christ's love being poured out in that way in this commandment. But there's a problem. Go to someone you know in your life and demand that they love you. Go to your spouse or your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your children and say, love me. It really doesn't work that way, does it? Or love them. As we often point fingers at one another saying, well, you're not doing a very good job of loving so-and-so. And it's a trouble for us because love can never be commanded and have it be love. But that word command can also mean something else. It can mean commission. It can mean orders. It can mean this is your job now. Not a command or a demand, but this is the description of you. And it becomes this work of Jesusing other people. That is our job. That is this commission. It's not a command to just go out and willy-nilly love whoever. Yes, that is true. But there's more to it than just that. It says that he loved his people in the world and he loved them to the end. That word that is used there often can also mean forever. It gives a sense of completeness. It gives a sense of things being done, that there's no more love that he could pour out for us than this love that he gives of himself to us. And everything of who he was was in his hands, it says, that all powers, all dominion, all authority was given unto him. And what does he do? But he lays aside his outer clothing and he washes his disciples' feet. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I've ever been able to read this portion of the gospel and not be reminded just a few chapters later that he is to be stripped of his clothing and crucified. And here as a precursor, he lays aside his clothing and he gets on his hands and knees and he washes the feet of his students. And this completeness of his love this loving that Jesus does, it gets to Peter. And Peter, as Peter always does, says, what are you doing, Jesus? And Jesus has to tell him, you don't know what I'm about to do and what I am doing, but you will know at some point, you will know. You don't know right now, but you will know. And Peter again, though, has to say, never, you're not going to wash my feet, Jesus. You're Jesus. You're the one I said was the Messiah. You're not supposed to be washing feet. You're supposed to be taking the throne. But then Jesus says the most troubling of all statements, if I don't wash you, then you have no part with me, he says. And here you have Jesus doing the work that he is supposed to be doing, this Jesusing of people this giving of himself in a particular way, a way of humility, a way of humbling, a, lay, a way of, of casting aside all power, all of authority, and bending his knees to us. 
Well, I ask you, church, who was at that table? Who was it that he was loving and washing? Was it a bunch of, of holy men? No. It was a betrayer. One who sold the Savior of the world for 30 pieces of silver. It was a collection of cowards. A collection of cowards. Nine of them flee and we hear nothing about them. We have a denier, one who quite literally says, no, that man, I don't even know him. I don't even know his name. He's dead to me. And finally, we have a mute, the one whom Jesus loved, who, yes, he follows into the courtyard. Yes, he stands at the foot of the cross. But he says nothing to try and stop them from convicting his Jesus. And yet these are the ones that Jesus washes their feet. He comes to these who are the most notable of sinners. The ones who are called his disciples and they betray him, deny him, forsake him. And he says, you are clean. You've had a bath. Calling forth to you, O church, the day of your baptism, you were washed by Christ given his mercy in that. And yet he says that ones who have washed, ones who have taken a bath, don't need to wash their head or their hands or their their bodies, as he says to Peter, because Peter wants the full works. He wants the altar wash. And Jesus says, no, you only need to wash your feet because those get dirty every day. Speaking of the daily sins, the daily transgressions, the regular need for the Word and for Jesus. Christ being Lord and teacher, and He's a Lord who forgives, and He's a Lord who bends the knee, and His job, His work, is the washing away of sin. He doesn't lord it over others. He doesn't decide to say, well, that one's too bad of a sinner, or this one's too good of a person to ever have to ask them to confess their sins. Christ comes, and he does a particular work. And then what does he do? But he commissions those sitting at the table and us, saying, you are called as messengers, sinners who are sent out as heralds of this new work, this completed love of Christ to others, especially in the church. How often it is that we find so much strife in the church because we have sinners gathered together and regularly needing to confess. How much sin begins and ends in the church. Christians biting Christians and so many are surprised, but we shouldn't be because we know that we are collected with those betrayers, those forsakers, those deniers. And yet Christ still comes. The cross proves it. Your baptism proves it. It was there that Christ decided for you and took you as his own. The sacrament proves it. As I was teaching a few weeks ago on Holy Communion, one of the most wonderful parts about it is that communion is the food we need for our souls to remind us of the promise given to us in baptism. That we may never forget that, yes, our sins were forgiven then and they're forgiven now. 
Christ standing as the one who forgives. That every time we come to the sacrament, it is Jesus dipping low to wash our dirty feet of our regular day-to-day sins. And then also His Word becoming a washing. Needing to hear the Word. Needing to hear the promise of the Gospel again. The sacrament being this declaration. Confession and absolution being fundamental because the fundamental issue for all of us is walking around with dirty feet thinking that our problem is somewhere else. The Jesusing of us. Jesus happening upon us, being the most necessary thing. And so tonight, you're going to be called on to be messengers. Because that is our commission. Our commission is to go and find other sinners and bring them to Christ that He might wash them too. And so tonight, after we have our time of confession and absolution in just a second, I would ask you to to get a cup of water, put some water in it, And take part in the absolution ritual that we normally have. And you will hear more about that in a second. Also, tonight is the night in which we usually do foot washing. Last year we also did hand washing. Imagine how special it would be tonight. When that time comes, you'll have more instructions. But to actually wash each other's hands at a time in which we're being told to wash our hands. But doing that in a manner in which we might remember the washing of Christ upon us. And then finally, tonight is usually the time in which we would have First Communion and we would gather for the remembrance of the institution of the Lord's Supper. Well, I would ask and I would hope that you would gather around a snack this evening together to partake together in a meal in some sort of communal fashion. Do it through... FaceTime or Zoom with family members to eat something, do a virtual potluck, but to have that communion and say a prayer before you do it, giving thanks to Christ for gathering you around his table so often and asking God to bring us together again soon that we might partake of that sacrament together. Even though we don't have the meal tonight, we will be Jesus tonight, both you and your homes But also, tonight we have the stripping of the altar. And we'll see in that the act of Christ working upon us, of stripping himself for you, bearing his all for you, being for you the loving one who loves you to the end, who loves you forever, who loves you completely by the laying down of himself for your sake for your often inability to love as he has called you and I. To be again the one washing us by the water of his word and by the working of himself upon us. Thanks be to God. Amen.